Hello, and welcome to Teaching Together, the complete mathematics podcast where we talk through a single objective in detail. I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're joined by my complete maths colleague, Johnny Hall. Hello. What are we looking at today, Johnny? Well, today we're looking at exact trigonometric values. This objective is from Unit 1 of Stage 10 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. You can follow along with the podcast at home by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcasts to download the side deck of tasks from today's episode. Once you've downloaded this, let's dive into teach, do, practice, behave with exact trigonometric values. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we must be sure that we're doing the right maths at the right level. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. So Johnny, what are the prerequisites for today's objective and how would you go about testing for these in this learning episode? Right then, so I guess we've got a couple of uh, prerequisites, um, but we can bundle a lot of them together. So I like to do a little activity which I call Trithagoras. So it's taking a basic sort of Pythagorean triple, drawing the right angle triangle for it. Take a three, four, a three, four right angle triangle. And then kids using Pythagoras to find the hypotenuse. And then applying their right angle trigonometry to find the two missing angles in that triangle as well. So you're testing that they can use Pythagoras and then you're also testing that you can use right angle trigonometry. And then also... Um, once they found one of the angles using your right angle trig, um, can they use their basic angle rules? Like, so you say your angles summing the triangles 180 to find the other one as well, and then and confirm it using trigonometry as well. So if you can see on slide, what slide are we on day three, I think it is. Basically, you show that in, the, in this three, four, five triangle, you show that sine x equals three over five, cos x equals four over five, tan x equals three over four. Then you do the inverse sign of each one. And eventually you, you, you show that the angle X must be 36.9 degrees using either sine, cosine or, or tangent. Um, so yeah, I call it tri uh, trithagoras. It's just basically taking one triangle and just completing the triangle, finding every length, every angle in as many different ways as you, po as you, as you know so far. And on the slide deck, it just shows a three, four, five triangle, but you could use five, 12, 13 or eight, 15, yeah. 17. The only rule for this is basically just pick a Pythagorean triple. If you, do, if you don't choose a Pythagorean triple, then you get that horrible hypotenuse. But maybe, maybe actually, now you've now you mentioned that, maybe you might want to choose horrible hypotenuse because then you can incorporate a bit of surge work as well because that was going to be my second prerequisite testing anyway. you got to think of that, Dave. Yeah, yeah. And so on slide four, you have included yep. um, a completion table on multiplying yeah. thirds. Well, obviously, that's my current obsession. Um, I did a maths obsession on it the other Monday, so I've just chucked in a completion table on manipulating thirds. But really, you just want to make sure that they're okay with third notation and how to multiply thirds and do a bit of addition and subtraction with thirds as, as well. So I've just thrown a completion table on thirds as a as an exemplar for what you want to what you want to be testing. So it's try. It's basically in a nutshell. It's right angle trigonometry, Pythagoras, your basic angle rules, and manipulating thirds. And once we're sure that kids are, you know, confident with these prerequisites uh, and they're ready to learn this new idea, we're ready to teach. And in the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, though only just beyond their current level of understanding. 
The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. Now, this objective looks at finding exact trigonometric values for angles of 0, 30, 45, 60 and 90 degrees. Slide 5 looks at how I go about 0 and 90 degrees. I use the unit circle, which is my go-to for introducing right angle trigonometry. So the pupils in my class have already seen the unit circle for introducing right angle trigonometry, and it makes sense for me to take them back to this. Now we can open a dynamic autograph file by clicking the image on the PowerPoint, and this will take us to the autograph website with a dynamic file showing a right angle triangle on the unit circle. If we click the point B in the animate tab, we can see that T is 30. And we can amend the value of t just by clicking on the left and right buttons next to the 30. Sine theta is the length that is a perpendicular from b down to c, which is the radius of the circle. And cos theta is the length ac, from the bottom of that perpendicular to the centre of the unit circle. And we can see that as I change the value of t, the, the angle uh, that the radius has been turned through, then the value of sine theta and cos theta varies. Now, we don't want to look at 30, 45 and 60 using this method, because on this autograph file, those lengths aren't exactly... Um, they're given as decimals on autograph, and that's not exactly helpful when we want exact values. So let's focus on 0 and 90. If we now change t to be 0, just by pressing the left button until we get to 0, we can see that cos theta is the radius of the circle. And sine theta, the length of that perpendicular, doesn't exist because of the position of that radius. And so we can say that sine 0 is 0 and cos 0 is 1. Rotating that through to 90, we can see that that length cos theta now disappears. And so we can say that cos 90 is 0 and sine theta is now the radius of the circle. So sine theta is 1. And that deals with our 0 and 90 degree angles. Johnny, is there a way you want to talk about uh, for 30, 45 and 60? Yeah. So on um, slide six, we've got what I, what I like to think is probably the, the default position a lot of teachers use. It's just a case of drawing two triangles on the board. One at a time. You start off with your 1-1 one, one right angle triangle. Um, which, so it's obviously got a hypotenuse of root two using Pythagoras. And using that triangle, you can find the value of sine 45, cos 45, and tan 45. Uh, because you know all the angles, because it's, an, because it's an isosceles triangle, those two missing angles must be 45 degrees each. So you can say that tan 45 must be 1 over 1. You can say that uh, sine 45 would be 1 over root 2. Uh, and then what's the other one? The, the cos 45 would be 1 over root 2 as well. Yes. That right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then the other one is where you draw an equilateral triangle, which is um, a two-two-two. Now you can do it with one-one-one, but it, you you end up having to halve it. So it's a little sort of teacher hack here. Make sure you start with a, an equilateral triangle with with sides two-two-two uh, to avoid a load of decimals or a load of fractions. And then you drop your perpendicular down the middle, so you split that side um, on the bottom into into one and one, and that's why you want to use your your, your two. And then, because it's an equilateral triangle, all the angles were originally 60, 60, 60, but you've split that top angle into 30. So, using exactly the same method as um, 
the first triangle, you can then find out your values, your exact values of sine, cos and tan of 30 and 60. And when you do that, you can show some nice links between like sine 30 and cos 60 as well. And you can show that you can show the, the relationship between those two. Um, depending which angle you start from, you, you still end up using the same side, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, that is exactly how I introduce um, exact trigonometric values for 30, 45 and 60 as well. Um, it, but it, it was really quite positive for uh, my year 11s last year because there was a four-mark question on their exam about showing that um, sine 60 is root 3 over 2 or something like that, and they gave them an equilateral triangle. So that is how they'd been taught to do it anyway, which meant mm. that they basically got four free marks. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I mean, why would you do it any other way? Because you hear, like... And I've seen on Twitter there are some nice sort of well no they're not they're not nice in my opinion there's ways of memorizing it using sort of fingers or something and yeah you might get kids to remember it using that but you're not going to get any sort of understanding um, of of what these values are and where they come come from there are patterns to spot when you look at them but it doesn't give an understanding of where these numbers come from and like whenever someone throws out. Um, can you tell me the exact value of cos 45, sine 60 or whatever? I mentally still draw the triangles in my head and I still mentally work out what they have to be. Uh, one day I might commit these to memory, but it, because I don't need to commit them to memory, because I know I can always derive them from the triangles, um, that, that's what I do, rather than relying on um, a pure sort of memory device. Yeah, they're referred to as finger tricks, aren't they? Um, yeah. and, I, and I can't say that I, I can back their use because it's it's learning that's not founded in any understanding. It's 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 compounding those thoughts that pupils believe that maths is just a load of tricks. You know, I'll keep mm-hmm. changing two negatives as a positive and I, you know, I use my fingers to do exact trig values. And at some point, all these tricks are just going to become overwhelming for kids and they're not going to be able to to move their learning forwards. Exactly, yeah. Now, as we transition out of the teach phase, we're looking for pupils to do, and that's coming up next. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown, and in most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution. The do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. So the teacher is responsive to pupils, amending their model or example to make stronger connections in pupils' schema. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea, and it's important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. So how are we doing, Johnny? Okay, so I think crucially for this bit, the main thing that you want your pupils to believe in is, is the ability to take any, any equilateral triangle in the world and derive the trig values for cos 30 and 60 from it. And likewise with an isosceles. So why not give them an equilateral triangle, say 10, 10, 10, draw it on the board, and then they can busy work away on their mini whiteboards or whatever. Can they recreate that? Can they recreate the values from, from that equilateral triangle? So rather than a 2 2 2 triangle, can they do it with a 10 10 10 triangle? And then give them likewise any, any isosceles triangle, um, say with two sides equal to three, a right angle isosceles triangle. And can they derive the, the tan 45, cos 45, sine 45? So you want them to be basically t- to be able to take these two very special triangles and generate the, 
generate the, the exact trig values from it and they need to practice it so that's that's my doing giving them a triangle can they do all the calculations to actually get to those to those values in contrast i think that i'd like to um i'd like to focus on specific ones and i'd like to make sure that pupils can can draw the triangle again and again and again and again and derive them from whatever triangle they want to they want to draw and i'm i'm hoping that they're going to go for a 1 1 root 2 and a 2 2 2 triangle to start with so I'll, you know i'll call out sine 30 and i'll expect them to draw the triangle and write the value of sine 30 and then i'll call out uh, cos 30 and then i'll call out sine 45 and i'll call out tan 45 you're just doing like one angle at a time rather than just drawing out the whole triangle so i think yeah, I want to isolate yeah. the skill of working out what sine 30 is before I then want them to use it. Yeah, I mean, there is a skill in itself, now you mentioned it, there's a skill in itself of, okay, which triangle do I need in the first place? If it's a 30 or 60, you need the equilateral. If it's a 45, you need the the, the right-angled one. And just getting kids to understand that's often often a bit of a sort of first, first hurdle, isn't it? Yeah, and like once I know that, they can do this once I'm confident that they can find sine 30 and cos 45 and tan 60 and so on and so forth. And um, I want them to develop fluency with that. So once pupils are fluent with the idea of generating these exact trig values from these triangles, we'll get, we'll get, we're then going to start using them. We need some utility. And so the use here is to use the exact trig values to calculate missing sides and angles in right angle triangles. So the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to go example problem pairs, doing one, having pupils do one and backwards and forwards. And then once I'm confident that they can do that, I'm giving them just a textbook exercise like the one on slide seven to find missing sides and angles. Any thoughts, Johnny? Well, I'm just thinking, I know you're like sort of the master of backwards fading. I'm not sure if this topic particularly lends itself much to any backwards fading. I was just thinking whether whether you could, because it is quite, it's quite, there's, there's not many steps to this, is there? I mean, it's it's worth it's worth considering. Uh, maybe for question one, we're asking what is the value of sine thirty. Although, come to think of it, that's more of a hint rather than a prompt. So, maybe the better first prompt is something like uh, which trig ratio can we use, and then we can work through each solution step, giving these self-explanation prompts so that pupils develop a strong understanding and this flexible knowledge of this new idea. Yeah, because a lot of people might think it's just sort of like one of those topics where there's there's not many of those steps. It's just a knowledge thing, and that and they they might be the same sort of people that have just learned through the finger tricks or something. But actually, when you break it down, there are quite a few separate steps to each one. It's first identifying the trig ratio, and then okay, so what's that exact value going to be? And then can you apply it to this similar triangle that you that you've got? Yeah, can you? I mean, can you form a can you form an equation and solve? Yeah, it's quite. Yeah, there's quite a lot to it. Yeah, I think I might have to come back to this at a later stage. Um, back to the pod, though. We've looked at teaching do, and now we're going to segue into the practice phase. So that's coming up next. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the idea. Unfortunately, it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't quite get this far. Pupils tend to perform with a new idea, but don't form connections between a novel idea and their existing schema, and this affects retention. Through teach and do, pupils are now fluent with the procedure for exact trigonometric values, 
So we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships, and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for well-structured and intelligently designed tasks that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. So Johnny, what kind of activity might the teacher use here? Okay, so on slide eight then, I've got a, a very basic completion table. Well, the first three columns of completion table is, so I've got the zero to, well, I've gone all the way down to 180 degrees on the side, 0, 30, 45, 60, 90, 180. Use as many of those as you want. And then I've got sine, cos, and, and tan for the first three columns. So that is just checking that they can still do them. And depending on which order you reveal the angles, and you could change the, um, at the moment, the, the angles are just ascending order. But if you mix them up, you could increase the challenge as well. So it's not sort of um, so so structured for them. But then towards the end of the completion table, I've got a couple of what I like to call DON columns. So two, two additional columns, which don't help you with finding the exact trigonometry values, but it does draw in some extra links to, to be made with trigonometry. So uh, we've got sine x, cos x, tan x, finding your exact values. Then the fourth column is just sine x over cos x. So take your answer for sine x, and take your answer for cos x and divide them. And then hopefully uh, students will just notice that that's the same as tan x, so they can draw that link in. Uh, straight away and that might be a, a little moment of wonder for them they might test that on the calculator oh so tan x is just sine x uh, over over cos x then and maybe investigate why that works later on probably not during this objective but certainly later down the line and then that last column where i've sort of like squared sine x and squared um cosine x as well and then you just, um, pupils should find that okay when they do that and add them together that they'll get one for each one now, at this stage, we don't need to understand why that works or anything, because that would come later on in A-level maths. But again, it's just another moment of wonder. We're not we're not doing maths, which is beyond GCSE. Squaring numbers and adding together is, is not exactly beyond GCSE. But you just you get all you get these nice answers of one for everything in the column, uh, which will just prompt students' sense of uh, of wonder and like, why is this happening? And I'm trying to show the, the 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 beauty of maths, I guess, a little bit there. Yeah, it's like their first sort of introduction to the trig uh, identities. Yeah, I always use things like this as like a little hook to say, well, when you do A-level maths, you'll, you'll, you'll get to see why this is actually the case and uh, try and get people hooked on maths and wanting to know why. Yeah, so on slide nine, this kind of slide nine is, a, is an alternative practice activity that um, takes into account all the things that we've kind of looked at during the, the teach and do phases. So we've got our completion table for angles from zero to 90. We've got that introduction to the trig identities in question two. Mm -hmm. In question three, we're using our exact trig values to calculate missing lengths. And then in question four, we're expecting pupils to draw the shapes and, and, and use their trig values to find the perimeter of the triangle that is inscribed within a square. Yeah, um, and I like I like that task. That task four is like you can generalize it a little bit. So you've written a tri an equilateral triangle inside a square, but that task can be generalized to basically any regular polygon inside any other regular polygon, and you can find things like the perimeter of it or the the percent that's been shaded, the proportion that's shaded, and things like that. And there's there's loads of nice links to trigonometry and Pythagoras in, in that type of question. And that's a really nice segue into the behave phase, Johnny. And that's coming up next. In order to develop mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. 
We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years, so we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. Now, Johnny, on slide 10, you've put a task on there for exact trigonometric values, the, the behaved task that we might use when we're teaching this learning episode rather than the one that's two years down the line. Yeah, so hopefully, yeah, basically, if you're teaching exact trig values, the chances are they've come across Pythagoras maybe a couple of years ago now. Pythagoras should be pretty much well embedded uh, for the for the pupil by now. So one of my favourite prompts to use, and I use it all the time, is just which fits better, a circle inside a square or a square inside a circle. And then I define what feels better, what, what fits better um, in terms of like, okay, the amount of area that's left once you put the circle inside the square. So there's, it's, a, it's a nice investigation to do. Um, I'm not going to spoil it by saying which one is the most efficient to fit in. And it, it goes along with that saying, like, what fits better, a square into a, a square peg into a round hole or, or, the other way, or the other way around. It's a sort of like the mathematical version of that saying. And uh, like I alluded to in the practice phase when we're looking at question four, you can, you can generalise this problem by you choosing different polygons. If you consider the circle as like your infinite-sided polygon, um, that's the end game, if you like. But you can start with a equilateral triangle inside a square or a square inside a pentagon, all, all, all regular polygons, and what proportion is shaded and which one which one fits better. So that, that's the sort of task like where you could just you could you could spend hours and hours on it um, forming generalizations. Yeah, and you can find images of those things uh, on MathSpot by following the link on the red dot on the slide deck on slide 10. Now, for once exact trigonometric values is becoming more mature, there is a task on slide 11 from Don Stewart. It shows 18 circles packed within a rectangle, and you have to find the area of the surrounding rectangle in third form. Now, me and Johnny have just done this before recording, and this is a great task to work towards. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to get people to break this down into um, smaller shapes, and by drawing lines basically forming three semicircles at both ends and then forming equilateral triangles that run through the middle of it we can see that it's formed of six, six equilateral triangles and then i mean the equilateral triangle is the way that we we formed uh, their understanding of exact trig values and so it nicely arcs back to their formative experience of exact trig values by using root three and six of those plus the two from the radii of the semicircles, multiplying back by six to get the area of that surrounding rectangle. Johnny, how did you feel when you did that task? Um, well, when you showed me the equilateral triangle solution, like using the centre of each circle to use an equilateral triangle, it becomes quite obvious the solution. But I'm wondering, there must be other ways of doing this as well. I reckon there's ways of connecting radii to make isosceles triangles as well and getting to another solution. The nice thing is about it, though, that it does it does all simplify to a relatively nice third at the end of it. So pupils are getting a bit of practice with with surge in there as well. And if you click on the task, it's got a link to a whole page of different circles arranged in different rectangles, and and in each case, it's find find the area of the uh, surrounding rectangle. Well, that's it for this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum for free at completemaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from counting to calculus. 
We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode. And if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDA01. And mine's at StudyMaths. You can get in touch with Complete Maths on at LaSalle Ed. We're also contactable via email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I'm Johnny at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your chosen podcast provider. And please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care.